the peace God offers. On your outline, I put a couple of scriptures there for you. Romans 15, 13 was a scripture that we highlighted last week when we were talking about hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, in the pow- by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The reality is that hope and peace and joy and love and all of the qualities that God places within us in this abundant, satisfied life are all intertwined. Last week we talked about hope, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us. It's not anything that we can do. It's not anything that we can earn, but his presence within us. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding or which transcends all understanding. The peace of God which passes understanding is beyond comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we'll come back to that scripture in just a moment. Isn't it ironic that we live in such an affluent country and yet there is so much lack of peace Anger, worry, fear, angst, everywhere we look. It's, it's, been, it's been increasing, but it has been um, escalating over the last few years, the lack of peace. Depression is on the rise. And domestic violence is on the rise. Suicide attempts are on the rise. General angst, unsettledness, and happiness is increasing Everywhere. So what do we do? If you have an upside-down worldview, then we, th- we have ways of thinking that how we can get this, get rid of the fear and the angst and the, um, the anger and all, those, all of those things. Um, we think maybe if we can be successful, that will take away our worry and fear. If we can find people in our life that are just the right people, then that will take away all of this angst and worry and fear and give us some level of peace. We, at, with an upside-down worldview, we naturally search for relief in some way. And so if there's a lack of peace in our natural human being, we might look to um, prescription drugs or alcohol or um, changing my body or quitting my job or getting a better job and changing my circumstances, changing the people in my life. And, and it might bring a little bit of relief for the moment, but it doesn't bring relief in the long run. And insta- instead of finding peace, it seems like after the immediate relief is gone, it comes back with a vengeance. Even trying positive things will help a little bit, but they don't give peace. There's nothing in this world that will provide us with the peace that we were created to experience. And until we get our eyes off of this world and get our eyes on Christ, we'll never experience it. There are worried, anxious, fearful, angry people right here today. The the reality is it's not either, either or. It's not you are or you aren't. It's it's where are you on this continuum? Where are you on this scale that changes from day to day? 
Because our world creates anxiety. Our world creates fear. Our world creates worry. And it's not whether we have it, it's just what we're doing with it at the moment. And the, and the truth is, we're, we're all com- coming out of a really hard situation or we're in the middle of one or we're headed toward one. In addition to all the, just the normal stuff, that's just the way life is. So what do we do with that? When it comes to our day-to-day lives, what do we do? So I want to, I want to push you to think as we did last week, about the hopeless situations, about the things that threaten to rob you of peace that I talked about earlier. I want you to have those in your mind. Because even though we, as, as those who are striving to follow Christ, we believe that God wants to take our worry and our angst, our fear and our anger and all that, there's subconsciously something in us that says there, there, there are some that he can't touch. And oftentimes it's because we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and, and he hasn't touched it. And, we be, and it's possible that we begin to think, well, I can't have peace in that situation. I just have to learn to live with it. I just have to manage the worry or the angst rather than have peace. So I want to push you to think about those things because God's promise is peace. Let's take a look at it. We were created for real peace. But so oftentimes we settle for surviving and managing our angst. Man's peace, again going back to Merriam-Webster, defines peace as a state of tranquility or quiet, such as a freedom from civil disturbance, or freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, or harmony in personal relations. And all of those would be nice. But they're never going to be the, the norm, right? And if we're looking for that kind of peace from Jesus, we are going to be constantly and hugely disappointed. Because the world that we live in, there is all of that stuff. There's conflict, there's difficulty, there's uh, thoughts and emotions that come, there's relationship issues. And, and when you look in the Bible as it talks about peace, one kind of peace it describes is be at peace with other people. And so there is that part of it. But that's not the deep peace. That's not the supernatural peace that he wants to give to us. God's real peace is this inner experience of God's presence that helps us believe that all is well. It's an inner experience. It's God's presence within us that convinces us that regardless of what's going on out there, because God is God, all is well. Because peace is a person. Peace is Jesus himself. And God wants us to experience peace. And so I want to push you to to believe that God can give you peace deeper than you've ever experienced before. Some of you are experienced because we're all on the continuum. Some of you have been Christians long enough and you've, you've learned how to turn to God. But what if he's got even more for you? What if he's got a depth that will bring even greater satisfaction? Let's talk about it. Experiencing real peace and at at the same time being real peace conduits. Number one, Jesus came as the real peace to a peaceless world. Jesus came as the peace to give peace 
through his presence in a peaceless world. First bullet point says Jesus promised tribulation. Now that seems the opposite of what we're talking about, doesn't it? And yeah, that's the reality. John 16, 33. Jesus is talking to his disciples after about three years of walking and teaching and doing miracles and healings and making all kinds of promises. And just before he leaves, he says, I've said these things to you, all the information that he's given to his disciples, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus promises us tribulation. Now, when we read that word tribulation, I'm not sure that we really embrace what it means. Because I, I find oftentimes Christians read tribulation and they think of it as, as minor difficulty. You know, I didn't get the parking spot that I wanted. You know, I didn't get the Christmas present that I like. And no, the word tribulation is not minor irritation. It's... Um, Trouble involving direct suffering. Often out of persecution. Jesus is saying, in this world, you are going to experience hard things, suffering kinds of things, difficult things, uh, kinds of things that will, um, that will tempt you to think I'm not here or in control. And so he said, I've said all of these things because I want you to live with peace. But then it, in the same verse, he says, I, but in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So real peace can't be the absence of difficulty. It's got to be something more. And then, but he, I, I love how he, he kind of bookends it. And he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Have courage. I've overcome. You don't have to be concerned about those tribulations because I'm bigger. I am bigger. So Jesus promised tribulation. Jesus also promised conflict. It, this is just getting good, isn't it? <laughs> Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 34. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus promised conflict. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus is saying, don't think that I have come to bring the earthly kind of peace, the, the, to eliminate all the conflicts, all the struggles, all the angst, all the worry. I have not come to eliminate problems in your life. Rather, my coming will create more problems. I've come to bring a sword. And then he explains. He says, I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That doesn't sound like love, does it? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is not saying, I am intentionally causing conflict between you and your family members. He says, I am intentionally calling you to follow me. To turn around, to repent, to live right side up. And by living right side up, those in your family who are still upside down 
will not like it. And as a result, they will try to get you to change. They will, they will resist you. And, and, and later on, we find out that those who would follow Christ in that kind of way, all in way, would be kicked out of their homes, excommunicated from their synagogues. They, the conflict would be there. So he says, my, he's not saying my desire is to create conflict in your family. He's saying your following me will result in people in your own household being opposed to you. Jesus knew what he was talking about because earlier in his ministry, or, or may have been about around the same time in Matthew 10, his brothers brought his mother to try to take him away because they thought he'd lost his mind. So he knew. And he's saying the way to peace is not, does not mean it's going to be easy in relationships. Now, in other parts of the Bible, we say do all you can to be at peace with all people. Love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Those who, and so that doesn't change any of that. But he says expect it. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. And part of that tribulation, he says, is conflict. And in most families, you have conflict anyway. Right? It's just, so you might as well just choose the kind of conflict you're going to have. Isn't it ironic that at the, the very commemoration that is supposed to celebrate the Prince of Peace coming is often the time of year that creates the greatest conflict within families and the greatest angst in our lives. Jesus knew what he was talking about. So, Here's good news. Jesus promises tribulation. Jesus promises conflict. And then Jesus promises peace. So in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, the angels around Jesus' birth announced peace. Suddenly there was an angel. There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on, on, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. He's saying, I have come to bring peace among those with whom I'm pleased, those who are following me. So it's not an earthly peace. It's not a physical upside down peace. It's a different kind of peace. Conflict, tribulation, and peace. Jesus promised all three. Are you confused yet? I hope not. The last bullet point. Jesus promised peace through his spirit living in us. Amen. Which brings us to the second reality. Number two. The Holy Spirit is the real peace within us. It's the presence of God, not the absence of difficulty that is peace. It's, it's, um, and so it's the Holy Spirit. It's not the removal of the external stuff, but the infusion of Christ and the internal that actually provides peace. So I go back to John 16, 33. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I have come to bring peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. They coexist because he's overcome the world. So peace and difficulty coexist at the same time. Because the real peace is the presence of God within us, not the external. So turn your Bibles in John 4, to John 14, beginning with verse 25. 
John 14, beginning with verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Jesus said, I, I've been teaching you. I've been putting this in your minds. I've been, I've been laying the foundation. I've been planting the seeds. And I understand you can't get it all right now. But I, when the Holy Spirit comes, the helper comes. After I die and I am resurrected and I ascend to the Father, the Father will send the Spirit of God to live within you. And he will bring to remembrance all these things. He will make all of these things make sense that now you have in your mind, but you can't quite get. He says, and then verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He distinguishes between the external kinds of Merriam-Webster dictionary description and the Bible description. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My peace will remove the trouble from within. Not the trouble from out here, but I'll give you peace. I've um, mentioned growing up in a home with a dad who is verbally and emotionally abusive, um, at 15 years old, I accepted Christ, and it didn't get any better. And I remember asking God, how do I navigate this? How do, you know, I, now that I'm a Christian, and now that I sense God want me to be a pastor, my dad's not happy with that, and it's just, I, I just didn't want, I didn't, never wanted to be around him, I didn't want to be home, I didn't, and I'm just pleading with God, just do something. And I had developed the habit of reading, before I would go to school in the morning, I would read a chapter from the Bible. And I, I could take you to the spot in that house, in the bedroom. I think my little brother was still asleep in bed. And, and I was reading from John chapter 14. And in the midst of all of this angst and difficulty and struggle and hurt, I read John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And as I read those words, there was something that I just palpably just kind of washed over me and, and something changed inside of me. And I had a sense of God's presence and his peace. My external circumstances didn't change, but something happened. The word of God used by the spirit of God in a seeking soul brings his presence. All I did was say, God, I don't know what to do. And he used his word and and ever since, when I come to that, that, that verse, it brings tears to my eyes because he didn't remove me from the situation. He put himself in the situation with me. Peace. 
And throughout my life, and, and if we had time, we could have people stand all over this place. We could hear experience after experience where it happened the same way. It's not the external that changes, but God so wants to remove, maybe not remove, but, but uh, show himself so much bigger than the angst and the fear and the worry that all of that other doesn't have the power it had anymore. And so now I could walk out of the bedroom knowing all is well. Even when my dad yells at me, even when he puts me down, because God is with us. That's his peace. That's what he wants to give to us. It's not that we have to earn it or deserve it or work hard for it. We have to surrender and listen and obey. Real peace is the presence of God within us. So whatever it is that came to your mind when I said, what are, what are those things that are causing fear and angst and worry? Um, surrender them to God and ask him, Lord, I need your peace. I need your peace. Surrender. I need your peace. Because he's bigger. He is bigger. Real peace is the presence of God within us. The next bullet point. Real peace expands in tribulation. If you want more peace, don't look for God to change your circumstance, although he might. If you want real peace, look for God to expand his presence within you. Because real peace expands in tribulation as we surrender, listen, and obey. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read through this and then we're going to Take a look at it from a couple of different levels. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. So it's not that we don't do anything. It's that we do what God says to do to allow him. And, and these are really kind of levels or paths of surrender, giving him more and more ability to reach into our lives. Philippians 4, beginning with verse 4, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a command. So if you just wallow in anxiety, you're not being obedient. But he doesn't just say don't. He says, replace it with this. In everything, by prayer, conversation, supplication, those are requests, with thanksgiving, looking to see all that God is doing, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which transcends all understanding, which blows you away, you can't comprehend it because it's from within, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if, there's any, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Put your mind on those. Focus on those. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here he describes a process in our, in our upside down, natural, human kind of thinking. We want a magic pill. We want, to be, we want to be able to kneel before God and say, 
Lord, I'm going to give five minutes and I want your peace. Right? We go to the doctor, make me well. You know, cut it out, give me a pill, take it away, whatever. It's not that at all. The peace expands as our surrender expands in very specific ways. Level one, peace of heart and mind. If we want peace of heart and mind, here's what we need to do. Be in step with the Lord. That's about rejoice. Choose Him. Choose gratitude. Choose joy. Rejoice. And so he says in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Choose to look to Him. Choose to rejoice in Him regardless of your circumstances. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Turn to Him. And then recognize you're in the middle of tribulation, chaos, conflict. It, it just all comes. It's, it's a part of life. You're never going to get out of it. It just changes channels, right? Except going through it. So in my bedroom as a 17-year-old, I wanted God to take it away. And, you know, literally, when I was younger, I'd prayed that when my parents had gone out, they would never come home and I could go live with my best friend. I wanted it to go away. I just wanted it to go away. And God says, no. But I'll be in the middle of it with you. And I'll give you what you need in the middle of it. And so accept going through it. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about it. Accept that Jesus said we're going to go through it. And then surrender to God through conversation, requests, and thanksgiving. Here's the action. Here's the action part. We don't go to our knees and say, God, take it away or change it. He says, do it this way. Constant conversation in everything by prayer, constant conversation with me. That's the surrender, listen, and obey. That's the knees and the nudges. That's this constant walking in step with the Spirit. So that we're in this constant conversation so that every time that anxious thought comes, we say, God, I don't want it, you take it. I don't want it, you take it. It's kind of like fasting. Every time it comes to mind, you take it, you take it, God. I'm, and every time it comes up, instead of taking it as a cue to worry and give in to worry and angst and fear, is to take it as a cue for, to turn to God. And so it's this practice of turning to God. Constant conversation and asking him to do whatever he wants and being thankful as you're going through it. We need an attitude adjustment when we're anxious and worried, right? Because we get grumpy. I mean, maybe you don't. Yeah, or we become Eeyore, right? That's the, that, so this environment of being thankful, of saying, God, I know, I, I worship you. I thank you. I know you're in control. I am not going to complain about this because I know you're God. And he says, keep doing that every time it comes up. And the result, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which you cannot comprehend, will guard your hearts. He will take over your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. We want a pill, but it's a process. So if we want the peace of God, we have to keep going through this process. Level two. And just by the way, um, do you ever have anybody in your life who, who as you're going through life, they, they have this phrase that they use, it's always something. 
And, and the reality is, it is, right? <laughs> there's, there's always something. Um, it doesn't matter. I used to get so frustrated because when we would try to get away and go on vacation, somebody would be sick. And I would get so frustrated. I'm going, God, why is it? And it, because it's always something. There's always something. But the something is not the problem. The something gets in the way when we get frustrated with it instead of turning to God. Bless you. Level two, the presence of the God of peace. Now you may not have noticed that there's two different, the first one is the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And that, so that's the kind of the entry level experience of his peace. But what you really want is the God of peace. So here we go. Level two means that we proactively put our minds on the right side up values of Christ. One of the reasons why um, some Christians continue to struggle with angst and worry and fear and doubt and all those things is because of what they're allowing to come into their minds. You know, the, the old um, garbage in, garbage out computer language. Whatever you're putting in, is, it really does happen. You put a bunch of garbage in your mind and it, that's where your mind's going to go. You know, some of you need to change TV channels or what you listen to or what you watch. I mean, or, or the people that you're listening to or, you know, the complaining that's going on and the angry radio show. I mean, let's get real. There's, a, there's enough garbage to make our minds go garbage without even trying. It's a deliberate effort to shift. And so here he says... We have to proactively, deliberately do this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Now I want you to scroll through your last week and what you've listened to, what you've watched, what you've been around, and does it qualify? Or do we make excuses for what we put in our minds and what we focus on? Because he says if you want to experience the God of peace, that's, what you, that's where your mind has to go. And then proactively put into practice the right side up ways of Christ. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I, I modeled this for you. So what you saw me, what, what you've learned from me, what you received in information, what you've heard and what you've seen me do, put, it, put these into practice. Do the Bible. Actively, proactively, when you face stuff, what is it that God says? And I'll do that. What is it that God says? I will do that. What is it that God says? And I will do that. And then the result is you experience the overwhelming presence of God in real peace. The God of peace will be with you. It's not a magic pill. You can't do it by just, you know, praying once, once in a while and coming to church and doing all the religious stuff. It's a lifestyle of right side up Amen. that he promises. It's at the, it's at the end of it. It's the promise. It's God's presence within as we live in intimacy and alignment with him.
But it's more boot camp than kindergarten. Amen. It just is. And, and we have to decide, do I want the peace that bad or not? Or would I rather just like to stew in my worry and anger and angst? Because that's the natural inclination. Jesus is peace. The spirit within us is what brings peace. Um, but as we learned in the experiencing God, we will never fully experience that which God wants to do in us until we allow him to work through us for others. Which brings us to number three. If you want to experience real peace, then we have to be real peace bringers. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. As we are serving others, as we are giving to others, as we are being Christ to other people, then we, it, all that Christ is expands. And, and that includes hope, as we talked about last week, but also includes peace. And so I put some bullet points for you in a passage of Scripture. The world will always be in conflict, chaos, and angst. Right? The world is not going to, that is not going to be eliminated. Because Jesus said, in this world you're going to have tribulation. Christ in us offers real peace. He, he wants us to be conduits. He wants us to be pipelines. Um, and so what I see in Scripture and what I've experienced in my own life and watching other people is as we allow God to flow through us as his presence peace, hope, joy, all of that, as he, as he flows through us, there's a residue of his spirit that remains that gives us joy, peace, hope, all the stuff that's flowing through us. That's how, and, and as it flows through, that residue is what brings satisfaction and joy and abundant life. It's about giving. giving it's more blessed to give than to receive. This next part is hard. But here it is. Tribulation, going through tribulation is what makes peace spill out of real Christ followers. Amen. It's not the good times. You know, how do you, how do you get uh, orange juice out of an orange? You have to... See, this is not a hard question. <laughs> how do you get orange juice out of an orange? You have to squeeze it, right? How do you get coconut milk out of a coconut? You have to break it or cut it or, or something in order to get the good. How do you get the fragrance out of flowers? You squeeze or, or, or crush, right? It, it, yeah, you got to do damage to it. Just, what's that? Pestle and mortar. Pestle and mortar, whatever that is. I wasn't good in chemistry, so. So that's God's principle. If, if he wants other people to experience himself through you, then he's going to have to squeeze you. Tribulation is what makes real peace spill out of real Christ followers. It's, our, it's that we are different that allows it. Sadly, most people who call themselves Christ followers are act, they don't call themselves Christ followers, they call themselves Christians. They just act like the rest of the world when stuff happens. Right? And so they whine and, and they're, they're full of anger and angst and, and because they're looking at this world instead of they're going, say, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 6. 
And I want to give you an example of this that we need to really follow. In Acts chapter 6, we'll start with verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We find um, the account of Stephen, who was one of seven men chosen to oversee the distribution of food in the early days of the church in Jerusalem, when there were so many people that they couldn't keep up. But as he served, he leaned into God so much that we find this description in Acts 6.8. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, I want you to note, this was not a pastor. This is not one of the original apostles. This was not um, one of the evangelists. This was a servant. This was a guy who was in charge of the physical stuff that was going on in the church. So that means all of us, every one of us, regardless of whether we're hand or foot or eye or ear in the body of Christ, can be full of grace and power, and God can use us to do wonders. He was a conduit of God's presence. And because of that, as Jesus promised, it caused conflict. Opposition secretly instigated people to speak lies about him, which stirred up the Jewish people, which resulted in Stephen being brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish legal council. And they stated charges against him, false charges against him. Jump down to verse 15. And we find as Stephen is being falsely accused, tribulation, it squeezes something out of him. And that something is the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He was headed towards death. And that's what people saw. Not just the Christians who you would expect to see Christ in him, but all of these legal, legalistic people in the Sanhedrin who had been also responsible for killing Jesus. Verse, chapter 7, verses 1 to 51 is an incredible presentation of the good news that came through Stephen to all the people. He starts with Abraham in the Old Testament. He goes all the way to Jesus and and. Under the the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit, Stephen points at them and says, you killed Jesus. Because he refused to live by lies. Spoke the truth as God wanted him to. And they were not happy. Jump down to verse 54, chapter 7. Because he was accusing them. And they saw his face like the face of an angel. And well, when they heard these things, verse 54, chapter 7, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, what the, what's the next phrase? Full of the Holy Spirit. Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen was experiencing the peace that transcends all understanding. He's facing death. And yet, as he looks to Jesus, God is with him. And in such a 
a revealing way that he actually sees Jesus. Why? Because he is being obedient, surrendering, listening, and obeying. The presence of God in him was working, was flowing out from him as he went through tribulation. It wasn't the absence of conflict. He was in the conflict that would take his life. But it was in the midst of the conflict when just our natural response would be to worry about dying, be anxious about dying, be fearful about dying. And all, all of that was going on. But Jesus was bigger so that it pushed those down and he had God's peace. Now, look at me. God will do the same for you. It's not that Stephen was, was, you know, unique. It's the same promise that God gives to every single one of us. So whatever you're going through that is causing angst and fear and worry and concern, God is bigger. And he wants to give you the peace that transcends all understanding. Verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Anybody know who that? He becomes Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out. Now, it's one thing to look up and see Jesus. It's another thing to look around at the the very people who are killing you and say this. Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. As he was being squeezed, the peace of God was flowing from him all around him. Stephen could not have done this if he was full of fear, worry, angst, anger. But instead, he had learned to be anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, give it to God. The result was that the Holy Spirit overflowed to those around him. And when he had said this, the end of verse 60, he fell asleep, he died. Next chapter. And Saul approved of his execution. Saul was one of the Pharisees. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Remember, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I've always found it interesting that there's Saul. He didn't throw the stones, but he held the coats of the people who did. And after Stephen has this vision of Jesus, they get, they get mad. After Stephen says, do not hold this against them. Don't, you know, Lord, forgive them. Very much like what Jesus prayed on the cross. Saul goes on a rampage. Have you ever noticed when people have a lot of angst and fear and frustration and the conviction of God, how they get angry? And they try to destroy the stuff around. They try to to stamp out that which God is doing. The peace of Stephen overflowed on Saul to the place where he couldn't live with himself anymore. So he went on a rampage. He tried to kill all the Christians he could find. And it was out of that rampage that God was finally ever able to get hold of him. 
And as a result of Stephen's character, his peace, the presence of God in him flowing out onto Saul and, and some of these others, that God got a hold of him, turned him into Paul, and turned so much of the Gentile world right side out. It was as Stephen was being squeezed. So what might God be doing as he allows tribulation in your life? Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about what God wants to do through you as a conduit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and think once again of those things that are robbing you of peace the fears, the conflicts, the worries, the angst, the anger, those things that just preoccupy you. Maybe those aren't about you at all. Maybe it's what God wants to do through you to make a difference in other people's lives. Maybe it's, it's situations that he wants to use to draw you closer to him. So that the residue of his peace and his joy flowing through you will give you that abundance, that joy. Are you willing to let him do that? If you are, just say, Lord, I, I'm yours. I give it to you. I, I give over control of this stuff. I commit to stop telling you what to do with the stuff in my life. And then I challenge you to proactively live out Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Turn to him. Think with your mind and your heart the things that he's about as you surrender, listen, and obey. What changes you need to make? What you need to stop allowing into your heart and mind. What do you need to start putting into your heart and mind? Lord, we praise you as the Prince of Peace. We praise you that so many times in your word you've promised peace. Now we ask that you would take us step by step into your peace. Lord, we surrender our desire for a magic pill and we give ourselves to you to deny ourselves, take up our cross every day and, and follow you. Lord, convict us in those places where we're filling our minds and hearts with things other than you. No matter how benign they might seem, God, show us those things. It's hard to navigate it in this world. So help us to listen to you moment by moment and that you would transform us. I pray for us as a, as a church family that you would do the same. Lord, draw us to yourself that, that when we're squeezed, God, people will just see you. Do what you want, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.